Please join me in welcoming Kevin DeYoung. Thank you for having me and my wife here for most of this week. It has been a, a real joy and honor. And I'll give you just my, my bullet point impressions of Covenant College. Number one, very impressed with the students here, everyone that I've uh, met, and the questions that people have asked. Very impressed with uh, the seriousness, seriousness with which you view your faith and learning here. So very impressed with the students. Very unimpressed with the weather. <laughs> it's sort of like a bad rock concert out here, and someone left the fog machine on. Um, but making up for it is the near endless supply of bacon at your breakfast. So, <laughs> yes. Uh, I want to talk to you about the church and the role of the church in your life, and I want to start by reading from a well-known evangelical author. He says this, let me be completely upfront. My goal is to help you be a revolutionary. I have been so moved by the spiritual authenticity of the revolutionaries I have encountered and so disappointed by much of what I have seen and measured among Christians in the United States over the last 20 plus years that I want to understand and be a part of this groundbreaking development. He says, whether you become a revolutionary, and by that he means someone who is so devoted to Christ, they don't have to deal with the strictures of the institutional church. He says, whether you become a revolutionary, immersed in, minimally involved in, or completely disassociated from a local church is irrelevant to me and within boundaries to God. What matters is not whom you associate with, i.e. a local church, but who you are. Later in the same chapter, this popular author says this about the local church. The point here is simply to recognize that if we place all our hope in the local church, it is a misplaced hope. Many well-intentioned pastors promote this perspective by proclaiming the local church is the hope of the world. Like most advertising slogans, this notion is emotionally appealing. The trouble is, the sentiment is not biblical, he says. And Jesus alone is the hope of the world. The local church is one mechanism that can be instrumental in bringing us closer to God and helping us be more like Him. But, and listen to this final sentence, as the research data clearly shows, and that, that's usually a phrase that ought to send some alarms into your head, especially without a footnote. As the research data clearly shows, churches are not doing the job, and here's his line, if the local church is the hope of the world, then the world has no hope. That was George Barna. Now, it is certainly true that Jesus is the hope of the world. And in one sense, Jesus is the only hope of the world. But let us be clear, Jesus Christ is not present in the world in 
trees or Starbucks or the United Nations. He is present in his body, the church, the organism, and yes, even the institution which Paul describes with these words in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. We'll just look at it briefly and then look at a few other passages. But I want you to see how Paul climaxes this great prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. He begins in verse 15 by saying, I've heard of your faith and your love, and I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's his prayer that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. He prays that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you would know the hope to which he has called you, that you would know the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, that you would know his immeasurable greatness and power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You have this exalted description of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of His riches and the powerful working of God to raise Him from the dead and now seated at the right hand of God the Father, Father Almighty in the heavenly places and far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. This Christ, Paul says, has His fullness in the church. The one holy apostolic universal church of which your local congregation is the visible and necessary expression is, notwithstanding George Barna, the hope of the world. Not in place of Jesus, but because the church is the place where Jesus is. It is the fullness. Don't you want to spend your life immersed in that place which Scripture calls the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You could write a dissertation on that phrase. How, how does the one who fills all in all have a fullness? Well, there's some kind of way in which there's a fuller fullness for Him who fills all in all. And that place is the church. I have two goals this morning in the brief time that we have. Number one, I want us to grow in our love for the local church. And, and I'm saying the, the local church. Yeah, the church. We love the church. What about your church? Which sometimes has lame music and probably always has bad coffee. And um, some sermons hit or miss. And people don't always treat you the way you would like. What about that church? I want us to grow in love for the local church. And second, I want us to grow in our commitment to the local church. I like what John Stott has written. Now, uh, John Stott, who's now gone to be with the Lord, if you know anything about John Stott, uh, is, was very balanced. He was, he was always, he was very British in that way, and he wasn't prone to extremes. And so he was always kind of saying, not this, not this, but in, in the middle, 
And so when John Stott says something that sounds very dramatic, you, you want to pay careful attention. You're not prone to overstatement. He says, I trust that none of my readers is that grotesque anomaly and unchurched Christian. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person, for the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. The church is at the center of the purposes of God. There is no other institution on the earth that has the promise of the Lord Jesus Himself that it will endure until the end of time. There's no promise about the United States of America. No promise about Covenant College. No promise about the Library of Congress. But there is a promise that the church of Jesus Christ will endure to the end of the age and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. The church is not just instrumental in your relationships and for your family because the church helps your family, though it does that. But the church is instrumental because it is the place God has given you in which you and your family and your relationships are meant to exist. How else can you obey all of the one another commands in the New Testament? To love one another and be kind to one another and forgive one another. How, how are you going to obey those commands if, if you don't have a church to love and forgive and be humble and submit? The church is absolutely indispensable in every area of your life, every relationship, for marriage, not only when you are married and need help, but when you're looking for a spouse. One or two of you are interested in getting married, I imagine. And uh, let me commend to you the church as a wonderful place. I'm not just saying that because that's where I met my lovely wife, but I am saying it for that reason also. Uh, I met my wife there and uh, saw that she was going to an OPC church, you know, like the straight-up Presbyterians. And uh, was there in the morning, was there at Sunday school, and was there in Sunday evening, and uh, found out that she was reading Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I thought, she'll be all right. The church ought to be central as you think about your work and your vocation. Wouldn't it be a wonderful, revolutionary thing if as you left here and you began to think about what programs you're going to do, what internships, what, where you're going to take a job, if you made your first priority, is there a gospel-believing, Bible-teaching church nearby that I can be involved in? Unless you're, you know, seeing yourself and you're doing mission work somewhere where you're going to start that thing. How often do people, they get a great job, it's a dream job, and it's in a sunny place, not like here, and it's uh, warm, and it's fulfilling, and Bono would be very proud of me, and it's really awesome. And then you get there, and you realize, oh, there's really no good churches. And sort of struggling through this one, and the, the best one's about 50 minutes away, and I drive there. What if you decided, I, I, I want to think about what church I can go to before I even think about what job I can take, or where I'm going to live. And you will be thankful for the church someday when you have children, not only because it means other people can watch your kid for a few hours each Sunday, though 
that is nice. But you will, you will realize that you are so eager to have other Christians play a role in your kid's life, have other influences. Many of you would have stories, not only your parents, but a, a youth group leader or a college student, or maybe right now you're that college student in somebody's life, and mom and dad are just lame and can't get through, but here comes a, a college student from Covenant College, and, and you're pouring your life into some high school sophomore, and he or she is just thrilled to hear from you what they don't have ears to hear from mom or dad. The church is where you are meant to live out your life. I've been around the church my whole life. Many of you have as well. I'm 35, and I have been around the church since the very beginning. Sometimes I feel like Samuel. I just kind of lived there. And uh, I was went to church. My parents took me Sunday morning. We went to Sunday school. We went Sunday evening, and we uh, went on Wednesday. And we would have gone on Thursday just to be safe if we had to. We went to church all the time. And I remember going to youth group. I remember our Wednesday night programs. We had cadets for the boys, and for the girls, we had Calvinettes. Yes, Calvinettes. It was the dream of every young cadet that he might someday marry a fine young Calvinette. <laughs> Later they changed the name to Gems, which was like, isn't that a wrestling or something? Or, but, Come on, just stay with it, Calvinettes. We were there and I would sit in the chairs or in the pew and I've spent more hours in churches than in any other type of building besides a house, I am absolutely sure. And in those years, I have seen some of the greatest people and some of the best things you can ever imagine. And if you invest in a church, you'll see the same. You'll see people that absolutely give of their everything to bring you a meal, to rally around you. I've seen people do vigils at the hospitals. I've seen people invite over complete strangers for a meal seen folks give sacrificially, raise money, conversions and adult baptisms and infant baptisms and missionaries and people who had everything here and then they left it to go somewhere else. The kindest, most humble, intelligent, virtuous, Christ-honoring people. I could introduce you to many of them at my church. And I've also been around the church long enough to see everything else. Pastors' marriages blowing up people taking sides. Uh, I've seen pastors leave because of burnout and sexual sin and addiction. Known pastors who are controlling, and I've known churches that were controlling of their pastors. I've seen very dumb things. I served at a church, and I was the chair of the uh, evangelism committee. And uh, in the northwest corner of Iowa, Iowa, which some of you will know, is uh, not the ripest spot for evangelism. I think we'd, we knocked on people's doors and got all the non-believers on a Saturday afternoon, all the people who weren't at church, but we were the evangelism committee, and so we got different things, and so one time there was a, a great incident in the church that the, the little baggies of crayons we gave to the children, some, peop, some kids were putting their snotty tissues into the bags, and so it came before us to consider what to do with the bags of crayons and the tissues, and I thought, this is why I have a Master's of Divinity degree. And one rather snarky member of our committee decided he would write up the notes and did it very dramatically. And therefore, be it resolved 
that on this day, the year of our Lord, we do heretofore pass the said resolution that if said snotty tissue should be found in crayon receptacle, that you have permission herewith from the Board of Elders to dispose of said tissue into circular receptacle. And I said, man, that's going to get me in a lot of trouble. Don't submit that. I have seen people greatly hurt by the church. Uh, there's things that have been hurtful to me. I kind of laugh about it now, but we'll, uh, never forget one of the, the first meetings, the first year or so I was at the, the church I serve, and some people were upset about some things, and we had a whole meeting, me and some elders, and there was maybe 15 other people from the church, and one very sweet lady didn't quite hear what she was saying. She just said, I don't know. I, I feel like everything was going so great in our church, and just about the time that you came here, everything changed. And it wasn't great anymore. Well, put two and two together, I see the problem there. And as a pastor, I have to be honest that I'm sure I have hurt people and said things that were thoughtless. And you've probably been hurt. It's the church. And my, my temptation when people say, well, I don't want to be part of the church. You know, there's hypocrites there. First thing I want to say is, you're right, and you'd fit right in. <laughs> but I try not to say that. Much more helpful is to say, you know what? You don't even know the half of it. You, you don't know how bad we are. <laughs> if you could see our hearts and know our sins. But if you could know our Savior, then this might be just the place for you. The church is an indispensable part of God's plan. Think of some of the metaphors or analogies that Paul uses in the New Testament. He says the church is a building. 1 Peter 2, that's Peter, not Paul, says we are living stones built into a spiritual house with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 3 says we are God's building. Jesus Christ is the foundation. So the church is the building. If you want Jesus without the church, then it's like having a, a basement without a house. You ever drive by and you see, I don't know if you do basements here, they do in Michigan, they're, they're digging the foundation out. No one ever says, you know, honey, let's put an offer on that one. Yeah, it's got a basement. It doesn't have a roof. That's all right. The whole reason for a basement, for a foundation, is to build a house. The church is that house of God built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. The church is a building elsewhere. Paul says the church is a body. Ephesians 1, 1 Corinthians 12. The passage we read here, the church is the body of Jesus Christ. And if you want Jesus without the church, it's like wanting a head without a body. You've probably heard the term decapitation cut off somebody's head, Latin word. Um, I made up the word decorpulation, corpus being for body. That, that's what Christians sometimes want. They, they want decorpulation. They, they want Christ, the head, without his body, the church. And I think Paul means for us to be a little weirded out by that image. If you, you think you don't need the church in your life, right? Just me and, just me and Jesus. And, and I got Christ, man. He's everything. Paul says, well, that's like you just walking around with a little bucket and a little, just a little severed head. Just, here we go. I'm a very mature Christian. I have a head. 
Paul would say, man, that head's supposed to have a body. The church is a, a building. The church is a body. The church is the bride of Christ. Heaven in Revelation 19 is described as a wedding feast with Christ as the groom. The church is his spotless bride. In Ephesians 5, he describes the mystery of marriage as referring ultimately to Christ and the church. Why is it that so many people think it's cool to diss Jesus' bride? I mean, you think, you think guys, you think that'd be cool if you, you, you go in and your friend's like, hey man, why'd you meet my girlfriend? Woo, guys. Are you sure about her? Man, your buddy think, you're so funny. That's really hilarious. I love it when you rip on my girlfriend. I love it when you rip on my wife. I think that's really funny. And yet, young people all the time think, well, that's kind of cool. It's kind of edgy if I rip on Jesus' bride, on his spouse, the church. Look, the church has many imperfections. But don't you want to love what Christ loves despite the ugliness? You ever see the, this Sonic commercial? Do you have Sonic down here? We don't, oh, man, you got Sonic, you got Chick-fil-A. I know why you're here. I heard, Bo, I heard Bojangles is coming and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, so we don't have Sonic up in Michigan, but you ever seen this commercial? You know, you got the two guys in the car, and this one has a guy, and it's got a, a woman, and, and she has a, a milkshake, and she's... She's drinking this milkshake, and as she's slurping it up, she gets a, a little bit of, of um, ice cream right here on her upper lip. And she, she looks into the car mirror, and she says, oh, look, honey, I have a mustache. And he's just looking down at his drink, and without looking up, he says, don't worry, you, you can only see it in the sunlight. <laughs> and, the, and then he looks up, and she is not happy. <laughs> And he says, oh, that, that mustache, that's, what I, that, that's the only mustache I, I meant, was that mustache. The, the bride of Christ sometimes looks a little nasty. And sometimes when you shine the light on her, it's not always pretty. You know, people used to say you, you never want to see uh, how sausage is made. You know, you just, just eat it. You don't, you don't want to see what goes into that thing and gets ground out there. And, and the church is a little bit like that. You, uh, you're in it long enough and behind the scenes long enough, and you see that there's sin and there's politics and there's hurts just like any other human institution. And yet you know that this is the very joy of Jesus' heart and the one for which he died, and the one that he is laboring to make beautiful. The most important support for your life and for your family is the family of God. The role of the church is indispensable in all your relationships. Let me just leave you with four quick pieces of advice. Show up, share, serve, and stay. You need to show up at church. And by that, mean, I don't just mean be there, but take the membership class. Even if you're, you say, I'm just here at Covenant for a few years. Um, 
figure out if you've got to be an associate member with your home church, if that's important to them. But we encourage the students at our church, you, you should join here. You're, you're here for three, four, five, Michigan State, six years is, is a long time, and you need to have spiritual authority in your life and spiritual care. Show up. Go to the things. Don't just be the, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm really busy. I'm a student. I'm going to do the minimal I can at church. The church has an evening church. Try to go to that. They have something during the week. If they have a prayer meeting and you think, well, that's just for old people, you try to show up one time. I, the old people are going to be mighty glad to see you there. Uh, don't be passive. When you graduate from here and you look for a church, don't, be, don't just go into a congregation and sort of just wait there. I'll wait until the pastor invites me over. I'll wait until somebody asks me to do something. I love it. I tell you as a pastor, I love it when young people come and they say, we're here and we've, we've listened to sermons online. We read your statement of faith. We like this church. What can we do? We want to get involved. We want to stay. And while you're a student, let me just tell you, if you are going to make the body of Christ a priority, you're going to have to learn how to have a Sabbath in your life. And uh, I'm going to tell you what I did. It was the best thing I ever did in college is I, I did not do homework on Sunday. I'm not putting down legalistic rules for you. I'm just saying it, it made that day so wonderfully freeing. It was a day of uh, get to, not a day of have to. And I had time to read. I had time to, to go to church and go back to church. I had time to take a nap. I had time to go on a walk. And if I had to cram in a lab and a study and a paper and everything else, I, w I would not have showed up at church like I did. Show up. Number two, share. You think you don't have any money now. So now is the best time to practice tithing. Don't do it when you have a lot of money. Do it now. Start getting those habits. I'd forever be grateful that my parents just instilled that in me. You mow the lawn and you make two bucks, you're putting 20 cents at least into the offering. If you got something now, don't think, well, I'm kind of a college student. In fact, I would urge you, if you're not making any money, don't rob yourself of the joy of, of giving. And if you say, well, Paul said, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, and I'm not, I feel like I'm not very happy when I do it. Well, then give till you are happy. <laughs> when I was in seminary, I didn't have any money, and I, I felt convicted I should, I should put in $20. I don't remember if I did it once a week or once a month, but I didn't have money. And, uh, and I pray, and I'll tell you, I have stories of people from my church and out of the blue, and people just say, Lord, put me on your heart, and they would send 20 bucks. I mean, this happened. These stories actually happened. Don't just think this is your freeloader time of life. You show up at church. You share. Share your life. And serve. Show up, share, and serve wherever you can. Don't just think, well, that's something I do later. That's some, what, you know, I'm sort of, this is the time of life where people serve me. No, you know what that's called? That's called when you're not a Christian. When you follow the Lord Jesus, you serve as he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Take your turn in the nursery, in the Sunday school class with the youth group. If you think, I don't have anything to share or any way to serve, you know what you can give people? You can always give people the gift of your curiosity. Ask them questions. You know how it blow people's mind if a college student asks them questions? He said, how are you doing? How's work going? How, how can I pray for you? And then stay. This may be particularly for those looking at graduation and moving on and finding a church. 
The people that never find community are invariably those that never stick around long enough to endure it. Wasn't it Bonhoeffer who said something to the effect that those most in love with community are usually the first ones to destroy it? The people that are all, I got a community, and I want more community. Why aren't you having more community? And I don't feel like you're really unloading. This community isn't very good. Not a community here. It's really bad, and people aren't really sharing their stuff. And you know when you get community? Community is what you get when idealism gives way to realism and you stick around. That's community. When you endure disappointment, when you have some hurts, when you get some scars, when you have the opportunity to forgive people. Now, I don't know what the Lord has for you, and, you know, many of you are going to bounce around. We're a very mobile society, and you're going to have an internship and then a, a graduate degree and then another job and another job. But, but there ought to be a time in your life when you think about really sticking and staying. Some people are called to be everywhere for two years at a time, but for most of us, your impact for Jesus Christ and your influence on the world will be much greater if you can learn to stay, to go somewhere, to plug into a church, and to stick around. And when you think about it, these four things, show up, share, serve, and stay, isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ does for us? He showed up from heaven. And he served us and died for us. And he shared his life with us and his spirit with us and poured out his blood for us. And he stays with us. Oh, isn't God so wonderfully patient with us? And he sticks with us and he keeps staying with us. No one loves your local church more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Jesus can show up and share and serve and stay with us, then surely we ought to do the same for his body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, help these men and women to love what you love and to be men and women in whatever field you call them in whatever joys and struggles you have preordained for them that they would be men and women who are absolutely committed to your bride. Lord, help us to stay, help us to serve, and we ask that through it we would grow closer to the one who fills all in all. In his name, amen.